welcome um, to Ask the Expert. And uh, we've today we have the distinct pleasure of having a 30-year graduate student, Ruth Elgamel, um, coming to us from UCSD from the lab of Kyle Galton. Uh, who is well known uh, for, you know, basically instigating and starting and running and growing the T1D knowledge portal. This has been an incredible new tool that's uh, been, and resource that's been added to the uh, type 1 diabetes research network. And it is really, um, some would say, sort of just getting started because it has uh, so much capacity to really expand and become uh just something of really great value in the community. Um, Ruth, I'm going to let you introduce yourself uh, a little bit. Uh, why don't you tell us um, how you got to uh, UCSD? Yeah, so I'm originally from Canada. I did both my bachelor's and my master's degrees uh, up at the University of Western Ontario. Um, and I've always been doing diabetes research. So my master's is more regenerative medicine, stem cell therapies for diabetes. Um, and then when I finished that, I moved over to Boston, where I worked at the Broad Institute for two years um, under the supervision of Dr. Bridget Wagner. So switching more to chemical biology, but still looking for therapeutics for type 1 diabetes. Um, and then I started graduate school in 2020, um, right in the height of, of the pandemic I, here at UCSD, the University of California, San Diego. Um, and I now work in Dr. Kyle Galton's lab, mostly doing bioinformatics, but still um, in the realm of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and this paper is really um, something special. An integrated map of cell type specific gene expression in pancreatic islets just came out. Um, and we're really excited for uh, you to walk us through it. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so excited to walk you guys through this. I think it came out about a week and a half ago now, so still new. Um, and if anybody has any questions, um, feel free to interrupt in the middle or wait till the end. Um, so really, our paper had two key highlights that I want to try to cover in my talk today. So the first was the generation of this integrated reference map that we mentioned on the previous slide. And our motivation for this was that while other groups have performed single cell RNA sequencing experiments on islets, they're often with really small sample sizes, and sometimes the results aren't congruent. So we really wanted to create a reference for this. Also, the results can be really difficult to access for groups that maybe don't have an expertise in bioinformatics. So the second key focus for us in this paper was to generate a suite of publicly available tools so the community can really engage with this data. And I'm gonna walk you through some of those tools um, today as well, we'll demo some of them. Um, so starting off with the reference map. So I wanna point out that the data that we used to generate the reference map was um, came from the Human Pancreas Analysis Program or HPAP for short. And this is a program that's funded by the Human Islet Research Network that aims to perform molecular profiling of tissues uh, from donors with different stages of um, diabetes development. And something really amazing about this resource is that all of the raw data is publicly available um, on this website at the bottom of the slide here. So we used 65 donors from HPAP. Um, they were non-diabetic autoantibody positive type 1 and type 2. And we we're able to generate this map on the left side of the screen here, um, where we were able to identify 10 distinct cell types. And then for some of those cell types, we were able to find some subpopulations. So for example, we were able to find alpha cells, but also cycling alpha cells. And then for stellate cells, we were able to find both quiescent and activated stellate cells. And I won't go into too much detail about all the bioinformatic processing to generate this map, uh, but briefly we performed batch um, correction and integration since we had 65 different donors. We did ambient RNA removal and doublet removal. And if anybody has any questions about that processing, we can go through that at the end. And then on the right-hand side is a dot plot showing the expression of common pancreatic islet marker genes across our different clusters. 
and cell types are here on the y-axis. And these are the um, marker genes that we used in annotating the different cell types within our data set. And so I want to point out how important that integration and batch correction is, since we're working with 65 different donors. Um, usually in the islet space, people are working with far fewer than that. So on the left-hand side here, I have the UMAP that's colored by uh, donor sex. And you can see how all of the different clusters within the map have representation from both uh, sexes within our data set. And then similarly on the right-hand side, HPAP contains tissue samples from two different um, sources. So one is from the University of Pennsylvania where HPAP is located and the other is from NPOD or the Network for Pancreatic Organ Donors. And so to make sure that we weren't seeing any biases based on where the tissue was um, sourced from, we colored this UMAP based on um, the two different tissue sources. And again, you can see that all the clusters have representation of cells from both tissue sources. So on the left-hand side here, you can see the distribution of disease status across the clusters. And you can see that all clusters, again, have distribution from the different disease statuses. Although maybe if you're really observant, you'll notice that this cluster has a little less blue. Uh, since this is the beta cell cluster, it has less uh, representation from the type 1 diabetic donors. And then finally, on the right-hand side, I'm not showing all the colors, but this is the 65 different donors. And you can see that all clusters have representation um, across the donors, and there, there isn't really a cluster that's coming from a single donor. And that might be better represented on this stacked bar plot here, where the x-axis are different cell types, and the y-axis is the proportion of each cell type coming from each donor. And really, the takeaway here is that all of the clusters have representation um, from multiple donors. So that kind of covers figure one from the bioarchive paper, but I'm going to switch gears for a second and talk about some of the tools that we created for visualizing this data. Um, then we'll come back to figure two. Um, so first I want to point out that all of the tools I'm going to discuss today and from the paper can be found on this one single website, www.iletgenomics.org. Um, and so you can see here, there's a section for all the different applications and you can click on each of these and it'll take you to the different browsers. You can also download our raw Surat object. Um, so if you want to, you know, play with the data and you do have that bioinformatic expertise, you can um, download that there. We also have our cell type annotations on a Dropbox. I'll talk about this at the end again, but all of the code, the raw code and analysis pipelines are up on GitHub. So the first resource I'll chat about um, is CellX Gene, which is a website from the Chan Zuckerberg Institute for visualizing these UMAPs. So you can see on the bottom, it shows the 192,000 cells within our map. And on the left-hand side, you can see all these different um, metadata columns. And if you click on them, it'll show you all the data that's stored within, uh, within each metadata. And then if you click these little drop looking buttons, you'll be able to color the UMAP based on that. So clicking the drop beside cell type colors the UMAP by cell type. Um, and you can go through the different metadata and color them that way. So then on the right hand side of the screen, you can also look up um, individual genes. Um, and I believe you can just type them in the bar. So here I'm just typing insulin and it takes a second, but it'll pop up. And then similar to the left side of the screen, if you click the little drop beside insulin, you can then color the UMAP by insulin and you can see our beta cell population has high expression of insulin. You can also uh, bulk add genes. So as long as they're comma separated, you can type in as many genes as you like and it'll take a second, but it'll auto populate all of those and you can uh, click through them one by one coloring uh, the UMAP by the different genes. So the next resource I want to talk so, about. Ruth, just to go, just to go back to that for one second, yeah. go, you know, where is um, where's the most value for this CellX gene um, data yeah. set? 
So we'll talk about it um, with the next browser. I think Shiny Cell is actually has more functionality than Cell X Gene. Uh, Cell X Gene is very popular one, so we created it since it's a tool people might be more, like familiar with. I would say where I use Cell X Gene the most is actually these um, columns on the left hand side. I think being able to see how well integrated the data set is by coloring by the different metadata. Um, sometimes for other data sets on Cell X Gene, you'll color by you know, 10x kit chemistry, and you'll see some of the clusters are very specific for the kit chemistry or the tissue sources. Um, so this is really a broad, uh, you know, general visualization tool. You can't do much analysis here, uh, but great for just seeing, you know, dimensions of the data set. Great, that's helpful. Yeah. So this is what Shiny Cell looks like when um, you load the data set. Um, and you'll see on the top are all these different tabs and we'll go through some of them, uh, but they're all different visualizations. Um, and so this is just the home, home screen of um, Shiny Cell. So on the left-hand side, you can uh, look at cell information, which is different metadata. So here I'm just coloring by cell type. And on the right-hand side, you can type in genes again. So we just have insulin set as the default. Um, and all of these plots are actually downloadable, which is really, really nice. Um, so the next tab I think I'm going to focus on is the co-expression tab, which is um, really useful. And again, this is an example of a functionality on Shiny Cell that maybe isn't on Cell X Gene. So here you can type in two different genes, and it'll create this blended plot on the right-hand side with one gene in red, the other in blue, and you can see co-expression in purple. And it actually makes this really nice table on the right-hand side as well, showing how many cells actually have co-expression of the two genes. Um, so next is the violin box plot. One, and this is really great again for metadata, just visualizing it a different way. So here I have cell types and I'm looking at mitochondrial percentage across the different cell types. And then there's some toggles on the left hand side where you can um, play with the graphic. So things like switching between violin and box plots, as well as changing, you know, font sizes, um, graphics as well. So the next tab should be the um, proportion plots. Um, so here you can see the default is sex, but one that I really like is um, looking at diabetes status. And then we can look at our different cell types and we can see the proportions of the cell types across the different diabetes statuses. So you can see in all of green are the beta cells and the type one diabetes um, donors have, you know, smaller proportion of beta cells. Um, but that's, you know, one of the many things you can look at on this proportion um, tab. And then finally, we have bubble uh, plots and heat maps. Uh, so preloaded are the marker genes that I showed you um, previously from our reference map, but you can type in any set of genes that you're interested in. And then again, because um, the graphics are all downloadable, you can um, change all sorts of things. So here I'm changing from the cluster identities to our cell type annotations. And then you can change things like the color scale. So here I'm changing it from um, blue, yellow, red to yellow, green, purple, as well as the size of the fonts and the, and the plots as a whole. Um, so this is a really nice way to make some clean looking plots quickly using our data set. It's a, it's like one-stop shopping. It yeah. really is. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have acknowledgements at the end, but I'll give credit. We have a programmer in the group Perul and she really helped, you know, bring this data to life by creating all these browsers. So um, definitely glad to have her on board. Yeah, it's it's very uh, this is this is fantastic. It's really um, a place where you can not only visualize your data so many different ways, but you can and gain insight from it. But then, you know, it's so easy to just use it in your presentation or even a paper. 
Yeah, yeah. And I know, you know, now I work with bioinformatics data, but I definitely was at the bench for many years prior where I didn't have this expertise. So being able to go through other people's data and paper um, in, you know, nice user interfaces and stuff would have been really beneficial at the time. So. Yeah. Sure. Um, so we'll switch gears back to the paper and we'll talk about the second figure. Um, so in this figure, we focused on differential gene expression between cell types and disease states within the data set. Um, so on the left-hand side, this is kind of a summary of the results where the y-axis shows the different cell types and then the different disease um, statuses within each cell type. And on the x-axis, it shows the number of differentially expressed genes in each condition. And you can see that by far the condition with the highest number of differentially expressed genes is uh, beta cells and type 1 diabetic donors, uh, where there are actually 1,305 significant genes. And so then on the right-hand side, uh, we're just going to focus on the changes in beta cell expression between type 1 diabetic um, samples compared to the non-diabetic donors. And this is just a volcano plot summarizing those results. And then specifically for those beta cells from type 1 diabetic donors, we performed gene set enrichment analysis to see if any of those differentially expressed genes were enriched in particular pathways. And so we noticed that upregulated genes were enriched in things like antigen processing and presentation, as well as cytokine signaling. And downregulated genes were enriched in things like cellular responses to stimuli, as well as responses to ER stress. Um, and to us, these results were a confirmation that we're able to detect some well-established disease-relevant pathways within our data set. And then focusing on a few specific genes, um, here I've plotted the gene expression shown as transcripts uh, per million across non-diabetic autoantibody positive and type 1 diabetic donors. And so starting on the top left, we can see that insulin is significantly decreased in the type 1 diabetic donors. And then we looked at things like HLA A, B, and C, which were significantly increased. These are things that are involved in, or genes that are involved in antigen processing. So these are significantly increased within the type 1 diabetic donors. GAD1 is a known autoantigen in type 1 diabetes, which is also significantly increased in type 1 diabetic donors. STAT1 and then interferon regulatory factors 1, 1 and 2, as well as NF-kappa-beta are all involved in cytokine signaling. So these were also um, significantly increased in type 1 diabetic donors. And the final gene I'm showing here is BCL6, which is a cell survival gene. Um, so the next resource I want to um, kind of walk you guys through is our differential gene expression browser. Um, so this is a browser specifically for, um, you know, querying the results I just showed you. So there's two tabs on the top. The first is the volcano plot tab, and then the second is an interactive table. So on the volcano plot tab, there's a drop-down menu, and you can pick your cell type and um, disease status of interest. And then each of these disease statuses is compared to the non-diabetic control, um, as shown on the x-axis of the volcano plots. And so here we're just looking at those beta cells and type 1 diabetes. And you can change the y-axis to either the uh, raw p-values or the p-adjusted p-values. Um, and then you can use these uh, little slider bars to change the significance threshold as well as the effect uh, threshold. And then the volcano plot will actually adjust in real time to show you um, the significant genes. Um, there's some features also um, on the bottom for those thresholds, those, um, those vertical and horizontal lines as well. And again, since you can download these plots, we really made it so you can customize them um, to look however you'd like. So then on the second tab, um, you can look at the actual DEC results. Um, and then here, all the results are downloadable and you can sort the columns um, based on whichever, you know, here I'm sorting by the P adjusted um, values, but you can sort all the columns however you'd like. And you can also search for individual genes. So here I'm just searching for insulin and you can see it's significantly decreased in the data set. Um, and then also on the left-hand side, um, 
you'll see this little um, option to show only the significant differential features. And that actually subsets the table for you based on the thresholds that you set on the volcano plot tab. Um, so based on the p-value thresholds, as well as the effect size thresholds you set. Um, and then you can download just, just those results if you'd like. So then the final resource we created that I want to talk about is an azimuth reference. So azimuth is an app from HubMap, the Human Biomolecular Atlas program, where users can map their own single cell analyses onto um, an azimuth reference. And this is particularly great if you know your data set within your lab has a small number of samples and you want to map to a larger reference. This increases your ability to detect and annotate specific cell types as well as interpret your results. And so we created an azimuth reference for our data set that anyone can use to map their data against. And I'll demonstrate this on the, on the next slide. Um, so when you open the browser, this is what the azimuth browser looks like. You see a UMAP that looks similar to, to what I've shown you on our other browsers. Um, and here you can just um, load in um, any sort of object that contains your data. And so I just download this very small mouse eyelet data set that's 7,000 cells. Um, Azimuth should take either a SORA RDS or an H5AD from ScanPy. So here I'm just loading it in. Again, I can do this locally since it's only 7,000 cells, but there is um, a command line interface for if you want to use larger data sets. What's the cutoff for the larger data set? Uh, Parole would know the answer to that. I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I know she did mention that we set the cutoff to be the same as what Ciroc cuts, um sets it to. So it should be... Okay pretty high, but yeah, in general, I don't run too many things locally. Um, some, I know like, I, I think our, our raw Surat object was up to like seven gigabytes. Some of them can be quite large. Yeah. Um, so once the upload is complete, you'll see, um, you know, it'll show you your cells are uploaded. Um, you'll show you some basic metadata. So this is for the 7,000 cells, and then you can click this map cells to reference. Then here on the bottom, you can see all sorts of different things are happening. So it's finding anchors. If we skip forward a little bit, um, it's calculating mapping scores, running the UMAP transformation. And then you'll see we get a few warnings, but they're not errors. And this is likely because I'm uploading such a small data set. But then you can click on these different tabs on the left. Um, so mapping is complete at this point. If you click on the cell plots tab, on the top, you'll see what the reference map looks like. And on the bottom, you'll see the query, which is the predicted cell types of your own data set compared to the reference map. And if you click on the feature plot tab, um, it'll show you the genes that it actually used to annotate cell types based on the reference. So you can see here how it annotated uh, beta cells based on insulin. And there should be a table below showing the biomarkers that were used. And then if you click um, download results on the left-hand side, it can actually add this metadata to the object that you loaded in which is really great for downstream analyses. Um, so the final thing I want to point out is our GitHub page. Um, so here, um, I've tried to organize several different scripts. And on the bottom of the page, I have the order in which um, you can perform them, in, perform them in order to generate the exact same reference that we um, created in this paper. Forward a bit here to two. Um, and then if you click on any individual script, all the raw code, um, as well as the packages we used in session info um, are all available there. Um, and I'll point out quickly too that um, you're always welcome to um, raise issues or put full requests in on the GitHub. We're always looking for feedback to make these resources you know, more accessible to the public. So anything we can do or any suggestions you have, you're welcome to, to put there. 
Um, so finally, I'll acknowledge um, my PI, Dr. Kyle Galton, for supporting all this work, as well as Perul, who I mentioned earlier, a programmer um, in the group who's been really instrumental in setting up all these browsers and resources, as well as several of our other lab members who have helped with uh, pipelines for these types of analyses over the years. It's really fantastic what you guys have been able to um, create here. And it's, you know, it's not that long that this T1D, you know, knowledge portal has been uh, sort of alive and living down there. And from that, it seems that you have just built uh, more and more, you know, sort of on ramps and easy access uh, with these types of data. And truly, it's, you know, it seems to me that these tools are really are going to poise to facilitate the discovery of the endotypes within the T1D populations finally, right? So that's a really, really important piece. Um, I want to open it up to people. There's quite a few people in the audience to ask a question. So while we're waiting for people to dive in here, what is, you know, what's next for you? What's the next uh, set of um, experiments? Thanks for presenting. It was very clear from uh, Dr. You. Michael Kalwat. That's great. Yeah, so I know um, in terms of this type of data, one, one thing that we have a work in progress is doing similar types of um, resources, browsers, and things for attack seek data. Our lab is pretty interested in epigenomics as well and regulation of beta cells beyond the um, gene expression level. Um, okay, and what's the, you know, sort of the timeline for these rollouts? Do you have anything in mind or have you even even just started to discuss that? Yeah, I don't know that I have timelines in mind um, to discuss, but hopefully, hopefully soon. Um, I think setting the groundwork with this project um, will help expedite that one. So, yeah. Any thoughts on here's some uh, question. Any thoughts on various integration techniques as to what is the best Surat reference integration, Harmony, et cetera? Yeah, so the only two that I've tried are um, fine anchors and integration through Surat, um, as well as Harmony. I haven't actually integrated using um, a Surat reference. Um, in terms of what um, I've shown, we've always stuck with Harmony, which is a broad um, software for integration. Um, it's also uh, built in in Surat now, which makes it really easy to use. And as I showed you with um, those UMAPs from figure one of our paper, I think at least, uh, you know, from my experience that the integration looks, uh, you know, sufficient, at least for our causes. We don't see um, those like really cluster specific or donor-specific clusters or sex-specific clusters, um, which leads us to believe that the integration is, is pretty good. Um, I guess I would also say, you know, what is the, um, you know, in terms of layering other genetic, other data that's out there and creating more tools, just sort of from the, um, you know, you're actually doing it, you're in, in process with this, what do you think is most needed right now in order to get that all in you know, one space and easily accessible? So I think my first part to the answer is that we're still figuring that out. And by putting out some of these resources, we'll see how people interact with them. And that's why we're really like looking for feedback and people can tell us, you know, this, this was a bit difficult. Um, so I think that's kind of the first step. Uh, but I will say, I think, you know, several different lab members are actively trying to figure out what new pieces of data we can layer. And with every new piece of data that you're layering, there's added challenges in how to visualize that and how to make it, you know, useful for people. Uh, so that's something we're figuring out as we go. Um, personally, you know, in my thesis work, I'm really interested in metabolism and metabolomics. So I'm figuring out how to integrate that type of data uh, with this. But other people are working more on, you know, taxic and epigenomics and layering that um, that level of data as well. So I think we're still figuring it out and hopefully, you know, the community can help us with 
with these resources and making them. Yeah, easy. I think it's it's extremely wise to basically, you know, you build these tools, but then it's really the proof in the pudding is as to whether people use them and how they use them. So it's really wise um, to, uh, to do exactly what you're doing and getting out there and 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 getting that feedback. And we're hoping, you know, hoping people will see this and actually start playing around with the tools and give you that feedback that you um, that will be so great uh, for next steps. Um, and so you're, I guess I would say, uh, we also had Carolyn McGrail on here earlier um, presentation, and I wondered, um, are the two of you working or collaborating in any way? Carolyn and I do collaborate quite a bit. She's on the call right now, which is why I'm giggling a little. <laughs> she can jump um, in. She can unmute herself if if she would like to. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always the considerations. I mainly work in the MHC and with HLA associations and as you, you know, in all of our data, we're always finding these differences across disease types. And I think that's where diving a little deeper is definitely of interest and calls for collaboration within the lab. Yeah, it's great to have, um, you know, all these different viewpoints in one, you know, one location in the Galton lab, uh, kind of all contributing and cross-fertilizing ideas. I think it's a, a very, very exciting place right now. And, um, you know, I, I encourage anyone who's listening uh, and watching this to keep a close eye on the Galton Lab because uh, there's a lot of exciting work coming from the laboratory and a lot of really sort of brilliant young scientists uh, coming out of there. All right, then. Um, you can reach out directly to the Galton Lab if anyone has any further, uh, further need for questions and answers. Oh, one more. Any trajectory analysis like pseudo time? Uh, I haven't performed any yet, but that's an interesting idea and could definitely look into it. I know the field has some uh, ideas of um, of cell types that might be in trajectory and where that might be. So it could be, could be nice to use our data set to look into that. Good suggestion. Put that on the long list, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was great having you, Ruth. Thank you very much. And uh, I wish the best for the entire laboratory. I can't wait to see, uh, you know, sort of what's next for your entire group. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day down in San Diego and uh, talk to you soon. Bye.